um, all the way to the very end of Jan excuse me, the very end of November, and then we'll complete the book of Romans. But what I want to be able to do for today is kind of have a Tempe moment. Um, normally, we are on the same text um, with all the other congregations around redemption, but every once in a while, you've got to have moments that are just family, Tempe, congregation, our particular church only. And so what today's sermon is, essentially, it's a red dot ser- sermon. And what I mean by red dot, if you've ever gone to an amusement park or you've ever been to the mall and you look at a map, it'll say, you are here, and there's a red dot there. And it's saying, where are we? Primarily, I want to be able to give some updates on where we are at financially, where we at in building a stronger church campaign, um, which even saying that, some of you go, oh yeah, that's right, we started that campaign last year. And then many of you who were not here are going, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so we're going to be able to pick up um, from there this morning and be able to walk through the campaign in which we had financially in the building we have, where we're at in our giving, also to challenge you guys in some areas of discipleship and so forth, um, looking at the topics in which we talked about last year when we did the Building a Stronger Church. Uh, campaign, and then we'll do that for today. And my hope is, guys, today's message is a little different, highly informative, um, hopefully in ways of challenging you, and then just being able to update us on where we're at um, and so forth. So we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 29, and so if you have your Bible, uh, why don't you guys go ahead and turn to Jeremiah chapter 29, looking at verses 4 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and slip up your hand and keep it raised. Keep it raised high, go ahead, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Now, if you have the Bible that we're handing out, we're going to be on page 425, I believe, 425, and that's where we're going to be at today. Um, hold your spot there um, as you turn there, and then we're going to take some time right now and, and pray and ask God to bless our time, and then we'll jump right into the text and right into what I believe um, God has for us this morning. So would you guys bow your heads and uh, pray with me? God in heaven, we thank you so much for the work of grace that has preceded us before we were born, before you even established the foundation of this world, that you decided that you would enter in. God, we thank you as we see visibly this happening in our life. God, as we see the transformation work of the gospel happening in our life and our communities around us, God, we ask for more of it. Um, God, I pray today as we look at some things, as we look at what it means to be the people of God in a place that does not honor God, Lord, I pray that you'd bring conviction. God, I pray that you would challenge us, you would inspire us, you would encourage us through your word, God, as a family. Um, God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite uh, stories is a good, good friend slash mentor of mine, Robert Gelinas, was talking about this time that they were in Africa, and they were driving around in Africa, and they had the same taxi cab driver that drove them around throughout the time while they were in Africa. And, um, and they would speak, as Americans, they would speak in idioms. And you guys are familiar with idioms are, they make sense to the people who understand the idiom, but not other cultures. I don't know if you've had that weird deal where you've said something and, and people don't even know what that, well, what that was. And so essentially what they kept saying is they, this, this taxi driver would hear the Americans saying like, like what, on, what on earth are you doing? Like, what on earth are you doing? We said that like, or what in the world are you doing, right? And so eventually, after the, the, the first week, he began to catch on to this particular phrase. And if you guys have ever had friends or that have picked on phrases that they really don't know what they mean, right? And, then, and I do that even in our own language. I'm always like, give a guy a fish and he gets a lake. Or I, I never know, like, the phrases, right? I always, always butcher those things, and sometimes on stage. <laughs> and so anyways, there's... there's um, he kept saying, every time someone would cut him off, this taxi cab driver would go, what are you doing on earth? Right? You know, like, 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 what are you doing on earth? And he would just say this, like, again and again. And my friend would just tell this story, and I'm like, gosh, I love that. Like, every time, it's like, what are you doing here on earth? Like, why do you exist, right? <laughs> and I think, that's a, I think that's a great question. You know why? Because philosophically, that's a question that people ask. Maybe we ask it in different ways. We say, what are we living for? What is my purpose? What am I doing here? Whatever it may be. And more particularly when it comes to us, and when I say us, I mean the people who love God. 
And, and I understand on a Sunday, there are plenty of people here who have never trusted in Christ. Um, but, but for the bulk of us, many of us have. And so what is, what is the church here for? I mean, you've probably had that question, that thought before, of like, God came into my life. I believed in him. I've received his forgiveness that he gave me through the work of his son, Jesus. Why didn't he just snatch me up to heaven, right? Especially we ask that question in June and July and August, right? It's like, why are we still here, right? And so what is the church? Like, what is the purpose of the church? What is the role of the church? Like, what are we doing here on earth? And if you've been around redemption for, for a year, year and a half, or any time, you, you know that we go back pretty consistently to Jeremiah chapter 29. And the reason why we go to Jeremiah 29, even before we go to Rome, or excuse me, Matthew 28 of Go Make Disciples, is because we see something um, that is very, very, we believe, helpful for us, relevant for us, as Jeremiah writes to these exiles. So let me, let me give you some context here. Um, the context here in this particular letter is that the people of God had lived in Jerusalem. They had disobeyed God, disobeyed God. God said, you keep doing this. I'm going to allow another nation to come in and rip you apart from your place. Meaning, I'm, they're going to take you to a different place. You won't be here in Jerusalem, which is the place that they were supposed to be in to live under God's loving care and provision and law and so forth, that they may be a blessing to the other nations, that that was a part of God's mission, that he would work through God's people. Well, they didn't listen. And sure enough, there was the rising up of the Babylonian kingdom. They came into Jerusalem, ransacked Jerusalem, and over three waves, three periods, they took people away and established them now in Babylon. Now, some of you guys may not be familiar with the exiles. That's what they were called, people who were taken away from their homeland, people who were taken away from a place that reflected God's character, the laws reflected his ways and his attributes, that the ethics were things that were born out of who God was, and then placed into a culture that didn't have that that was the antithesis of who God was in his character. And so in this time, there were some names that you may or may not be familiar with, people who were exiled. Ezekiel was exiled in this time. Daniel was exiled in this time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or if you grew up like me, Shadrach, Meshach, and one bad Negro. He was gone through that time. <laughs> the best of the bunch, right? And so he was gone that time. What? What? Your veggie tales didn't teach you that? Right? Um, so... That, those were the people that came during this time. And so here's what's happening here. They find themselves as the people of God in a land that does not reflect the character of their God. This is very similar to where we are. You, you have people that talk about, quote-unquote, the good old days in America or when America was founded as a Christian country. I would argue that it was never a Christian country. However, it did have theistic, very Judeo-Christian Catholic views. And progressively, what we've seen is a lot of those views are just not there anymore. And so the same questions that the exiles were asking, as Peter refers to the church in his letters, the new exiles, that we were asking the same questions of what does it look like for us, especially for those of us in our country, in our city, to live in such a way that honors God in a world that the laws and the ethics and the systems do not reflect God's character. And so how do we do that? Well, there's really three ways that that goes, right? There's one way is assimilation. And so the Babylonian, excuse me, the, the Israelites could have just assimilated to Babylonian culture. The way we do that is we just become like everybody else around us. Um, the way, way we talk, the way we act, the way we vote, the way we use our resources and so forth. And we may not get rid of our faith. We may still say we are Christians. But we keep it so private and so tucked away that no one else really would know a difference between a Christian and someone who's not a Christian. And so it's very private and there's assimilation. On the extreme side over here, what we usually have is just a very disengaged kind of a, a Christian huddle 
where, where people of God or Christians, they get together and they, they basically do things their way. They create their own music, their own schools, their own shirts, their own TV shows, whatever it may be. Um, and the only way that they engage into the, the broader culture is to take its services and goods. Meaning, there's a vocation I need to have in order to provide for my family, but then I come back into this particular um, group of people where everyone kind of thinks, feels, votes, acts just like me. And that's what the Israelites were being told to do. Because in the chapter previous to chapter 29, there was a false prophet by the name of Hananiah. And Hananiah had said, hey, God's on his way. We're only going to be here for a couple years Hold on to your family and your kids. Don't intermingle with anybody else in this particular culture. Don't learn the language. Don't go to the schools. Don't eat the produce. Stay away from anything that will kill you, right? And just stand here and God's going to come back. The problem was that was a lie. And God didn't say that. And so what we pick up in Jeremiah is that Jeremiah is now writing and speaking on behalf of God. And God is saying there's a third window. Don't overly assimilate and keep your faith so private that no one even understands uniquely and publicly what it means to live like a Christian. But at the same time, don't, don't try to just preserve your faith on your own that you're not a part of the community. But this third window is saying be uniquely and distinctly a, a Christian and yet don't disengage from the culture. Don't disengage from it. And here's what he says, chapter 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent and to exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. It's very simple. He's saying, be here. Yes, this is not Jerusalem. There's not a temple here. The ways are not uniquely God, or in our case, they're not uniquely Christian. However, plant gardens and build homes. You know what that means? It means be here for a while. There's a level of permanence. There's a level of be here, stay here. Um, plant gardens and get produce, eat them, provide, meaning have vocations and do it in such a way that you can provide for your family, but you can also bless the people around you. That's not only just materially, but economically and so forth. And he says, and then with your kids, take your sons and have them get married and take your daughters and, and have them get married. He says, increase, multiply, don't decrease. Meaning, continue to be established here. Um, multiply, care for the people around you. He's not saying, take your family, remove it from here. He's not saying, make your family like every other family. He's saying, no, be uniquely people who are saturated by the love of God in such a way that it begins to show blessings for the community, for the city. In fact, what he says here is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, verse 7 here. It says, but seek the welfare. Your translation may say, peace. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. That's pretty that's, that's striking to me. This place who ripped down the temple, this place who hates God, this place, he says, pray to it on my behalf. And he wasn't just pray for conversions, though nothing less than that, for the whole city, for the whole place. Now, when you read through Daniel, you begin to see some of the influence that God gives his people through, through the, um, the Babylonian culture. And so what that means for us is when we're in a place, for us, we're in Tempe. You're in Gilbert. You're in Chandler. You're in Scottsdale. You're in Phoenix. You're in wherever you drive from here. You're, you're here. We're here at this place. We may not be here forever. Some of you are here for three years, and you're going to go. Some of you are here for two years, and you're going to go. Some of you are here for five years, and you're going to go. Ten, twenty, whatever. You're, you're here for a while. While you're here, we believe God sovereignly has placed you here. 
And, and we're called to pray on behalf of our city. Pray to the Lord, meaning your kingdom come. The way that you want things in the educational system, the way that you want things in the political structure, the way that you want things, not the way that we want things so that we can get benefits from it, but the way that you wanted it, your will be done, not our will be done. And so what we did as a church is we looked at that and saying, what does that look like for us as a particular congregation? What does it look like for us to, to pour ourselves out in selfless, sacrificial love for the people amongst this congregation and for those who may never be a part of this congregation? And so what we did about a year ago as we started this campaign. And what I'm going to be able to do now for us is, one, i got to pause to catch us up to the story. Here's what I mean. Like I said, I, on vacation, I was watching all sorts of documentaries and, and stuff. Um, um, it was great, because when you have grandparents, my, my, my kids' grandparents, they just take, and they don't live in this state. When they see grandkids, all they want to do is be around them. And so we were like, sure, take, take them. And, um, and so they, they would just take the kids, and then my wife would be running or doing something else that she finds rest in, and I was laying on the couch and, and, and a godly way, but I'm laying on the couch, right, watching these documentaries. And what would happen is, you know, you pause, like they have like the pause button on the TV. It's amazing. So they, I pause the button, fall asleep, wake up, watch another documentary, <laughs> or the rest of that one, right? And... And what would happen is somebody, whether it be my son or my in-laws or my wife, somebody would inevitably come in and go, hey, what are you watching? And then you'd have to try to, like, explain everything that you've watched. You ever had that experience where you're watching a movie, you're watching a TV show, your roommate, whatever, comes in ruins, I mean, comes in and tries to, like, uh, you wanna, they want you to catch them up, like, you know? I was watching, <laughs> I was watching 24. There's a new 24, and so I watched the first eight episodes. <laughs> straight, right? So I'm watching this thing, and, and, and my wife comes, in, I'm like, okay, let me try to catch you up, okay? Um, and then you just go for it, right? Basically, what you have to do is you either have to pause the TV and catch them up, or try to catch them up while you're watching it, and clearly, they become annoying to you, you become a jerk to them, and that's never good. So what I want to do now is, I know that we have a story here, and many of us know this story, and there are some of you who have no idea or vaguely understand and you've kind of can piece some things together. Instead of you guessing, we're going to pause and say, how do we get to the point where we did the Building a Stronger Church? And then we'll continue to go over those six things that we talked about. All right? So here's what happened. We started this church 10 years ago. It'll be 10 years um, and October 19th. In fact, what we're going to do that day is we're going to have that Sunday, we're going to have a big, huge one service at a different location here and a picnic afterwards service to celebrate God's grace for the first 10 years of us as a church. It's going to be absolutely amazing. We don't have a building yet, but we're going to find one to meet there. We're hoping that ASU would say, here, here's Gamage, and we would say, yeah, we'll take it, right? <laughs> right? And so we're using all the resources we can to try to get that. Really, pray for that. So 10 years, Justin Anderson, who was a previous lead pastor of this church before me, started this church. He started in his parents' home. Um, one of those parents being Tim Anderson, who's one of our elders here. Went from 11 people to 50 people to 60 people and so forth. Met multiple buildings on campus, multiple buildings around the city. Um, went to multiple bu buildings that basically had the name Crosspoint in it, Crosspoint 1, Crosspoint 2, Crosspoint 3. And eventually, we landed at this place. And this particular building at the time was owned by a school who lost the building to the bank. The bank allowed us to lease this building. Now, what happened from there is we were right around 800 adults. And we, for, for our history, had been a night church. And for a while, when we would lease other churches to use their place, it was okay for us to, you know, just be, meet at night. But what we were seeing is more people were coming in the morning. We were too big, essentially, to just borrow somebody's church for a couple hours. And then we were seeing churches being asked to leave from their particular buildings. And we said, how can we ensure that we're going to be here for Tempe? 
primarily. We understand that the bulk of our, I mean, many of our people that go to our, this church don't necessarily live in Tempe, but we felt like this was a concentrated area we wanted to be in and people can come in and move here. It worked for us with the freeway being right here. Um, and so we thought maybe financially we're in a position we can buy a building. And so we looked at one building that was way too overpriced, we at another building that was equally overpriced, and then we thought, um, Jason Raber, one of our pastors here, said, how about we buy this building? Newsflash, the building we're meeting in. Never even thought about that. So we're like, yeah, let's, let's try to do that, right? So we went to the bank and said, how much are you guys going to sell this for? And they said $7 million. We all fainted. And then when we came back, we're like, no, thank you, it's not going to work. So we sat down with um, the leadership team and, and, of, uh, and primarily Neil Pitchell, who is the lead over executive of all the churches, handles all the finances and resources and so forth. And we said, Neil, we really would love to buy this building. And he says, what's the number that you guys think you can do? And we said, anywhere, maybe four and a half million. They're saying seven. And Neil's words, not my words, he says, I am a Jewish man. I can get it down, right? Uh, his words. <laughs> and then he came through. <laughs> Next thing you know, the bank said, okay, 3.7 million. And we're like, Neil, you did it. Right? And he just kind of looked at us and was like, yeah. Um, so we go $3.7 million. That is something that financially we thought was feasible. We could do it. Now with this, we just had blessing upon blessing, blessing upon blessing, and the strength of being part of one church that's multiple congregations. All of the other lead pastors many of which did not have their own property, saw the significance primarily of Tempe. And if you guys know anything about commercial real estate and buildings and whatnot, Tempe, Phoenix, those areas are those high-priced places, and they're usually landlocked. It's not the same as some churches that are able to go, hey, we're just going to buy that plot of land and build a building on it. There's not a whole lot of plots of land that you buy and just build things here. You usually take existing buildings and so forth. So with that, they said, we really strategically see for the sake of redemption that we have one building in Tempe. And so with that, they said, out of that 3.7, we're willing to take the overage, meaning whatever we budgeted, whatever giving came over that, pile that together, a a particular portion, and give it to you guys as a gift. Okay, that gift was a million dollars. And so they said, we want to gift you a million dollars. Would you guys want to receive it? Before they said, receive it, I said, yes, right? (laughs) We said, yes, that's amazing. So that's a million. Track with me. 3.7. Now we have 2.7 left. Well, we wanted to be able to put a significant amount of money down because it would have been great for us. We thought that if our mortgage on this particular property would be the same uh, or less than, our, um, than what our, lease, our current lease at the time was. So we needed another about $700,000, and so we took from reserves from redemption and said, we will pay this back. Um, the elders, uh, excuse me, the leadership team said, okay, we trust you guys. You guys will raise the money and pay it back. So that was the 0.7. So now we have 1.7. We took $2 million loans from the bank. And so the way that worked out is our mortgage here is less than what our lease was when we were only leasing just this building we're meeting in and parts of the children's space, not the entire property. And so we went in that and said, we're going to use the property for other things more than just our church. And you've heard me say this before. Um, there's probably 10 other organizations, schools, profits, Christian, non-Christian, after-school programs that use our facilities um, Monday through Sunday. I mean, there's even another church that meets here once a month. Um, all of the um, denominations of different Indian churches, uh, Indian from India, um, will meet here and gather together the first, sun- first Saturday of every month. Just multiple places that we're saying, you could use it. Some people lease it. Some people we let use for, for free because, one, it helps us financially, and it helps us in a way of just saying, we want to be a blessing to the people. And so with that, we launched a campaign and said we need to raise a million dollars. $700,000 of that million dollars is going to go back to making sure that other churches have resources when they're ready to do things. Um, $300,000 is going to go to strategic renovations. 
Primarily, we were going to send the bulk of the money was going to go towards children's ministry and do some renovations there. We've already raised enough money, and we're able to do all the renovations there in children's ministry, and we're able to get that done, and we're able to uh, get the playground there. So that's a good thing. Okay, I know I have to do some coaching. When people, like, when we're in a part of a team like this and we say something good happened, you guys usually go, wow, that's good, and you can clap. So wait, ready? So what were we able to do? Raise enough money so far already to do the renovations of the children's ministry. The playground's even done yet. All right. I knew, I knew it. That's exciting. <laughs> so with that, the first time we said, that we were on a one-time offering at the very end of that, that six-week series we had, and we, wanted a, we had a goal of $100,000 raised and a one-time goal. And then we were able to raise that plus more. And then, and then we've been on this process for three years to raise a million dollars. And you guys want to know where we are right now? I'm going to tell you guys later in the sermon. And so we'll figure that out, all right? <laughs> so that's kind of where we are, right? That's kind of where we are now. Catch you up. We are still building a stronger church. We said along with the capital campaign financially that we want to be able to grow as a church numerically, spiritually, and so forth. And there were kind of six topics we had. One was ownership. The other one was apprenticeship. Uh, we talked about generosity. We talked about being eclectic. That means essentially a diverse community. That we talked about what it really meant to be relying upon the Lord. And lastly, it was sent. And so what I want to be able to do is just walk through those points. There's no way I'm going to teach everything through that. That was six weeks I'm going to try to do here in, in the next 22 minutes. Okay, not, not going to happen, right? So we're going to walk through that right now. We're going to spend the bulk of the time on generosity just to give a financial update on where we are as a church and then also where we are in our building campaign. And so we'll walk through that now. First week, what we did is we talked about ownership. And what we meant by ownership in itself is we said that ownership um, was essentially being a people who, saturated by love, take ownership of their faith, their church, and their city. Here's what this boiled down to. When we read Jeremiah and when we continue to read Jeremiah, we say the language here of plant gardens and builds, um, being here, having kids, who have kids, it meant like that you're together in this. And when it comes to a church, that you're together in this. And that the church in itself, hear me, the church is not the building. It's important. The building is an important means. It's not the end. God's primary agent in this world, the primary agent of what the Spirit of Christ is working through is the local church. And the local church in itself is not a place, it's a people, meaning it's us. And there was no way that we could, we could do and build upon God building his church if there wasn't a sense of ownership. And so the phrase that I use then, and I'll use now, is we wanted people to transition from saying redemption is a church that they go to to redemption is my church. And that's a the difference there. Meaning we wanted to go from people who, who went to, basically we said somebody else is going to do it, whatever it is. Whenever someone said there's a need, we've got to bring granola bars for the homeless people in our community, or someone's got to help with the kids, or someone's got to greet, or someone's got to prepare coffee to hand out to people in the morning, even though it's blazing hot. Whatever it is, we, we had these things to do, and we said we want people to take ownership in that. Um, if you've ever been a part of a big family, or just a family in general, you, you've, um, you've had that experience where, where you, you know, you're... You know, like there's a list on the refrigerator. Any of you guys ever had that? Some of you guys did. Like, it's crazy, like how a generation now, like kids, kids don't do anything now, right? What'd they say? I play sports and I go to school and I sleep. <laughs> and I was like, that sounds amazing, right? <laughs> Likely, and I'd still do the same thing. But so you, what you have is, you, oh, my mom would say, hey, get your, get, get your name on the list. Get your name on the list. I don't see your name on the fridge. I don't see, and it was something. You had to put your name there. That's all it is. It's going, where is there a need? Now, where can I plug in? So, so, so one action on this is simply going, are you an attender? Basically, like, you come here, hear a sermon, sing some songs, and dip out. Are you connected in some level? And then it means you necessarily have to serve here on this campus, but maybe you can hand out a Bible. Someone says, I need a Bible. Here's a Bible. Maybe you can greet. Maybe you could prepare a coffee. Maybe you could 
pray for people. Maybe you could serve with children. Um, maybe you could do some of the stuff that's off, off campus that we're doing. Some of you guys may not know this, but we started a, an ESL class with uh, the Imagine Charter Schools down here on Southern and in McClintock. Imagine Charter Schools is a unique charter school that is ministering to, or ministering to, it's not a church, but they're ministering, that word means service, to people in our city. But um, many of the students there, they come from families where people don't speak English. And not just Spanish-speaking families, that's what you usually think, but um, a lot of refugee students uh, and kids who have come here. And so what we started there, that's led by Stephanie Coop here, who volunteers her time to oversee this, is um, Stephanie leads a, a group of people that, that trains people how to speak English, adults and children, at any level. If you're just learning how to say your name or you're trying to get a resume or you're trying to learn how to be prepared for a job interview, they're able to help and bless the people of our community. And, and I said, okay, what do you need? And she said, we need people that speak English. And I said, that's it? She goes, yeah, people that speak English. So if you can speak English, you're qualified. <laughs> like, you should feel, like, what, I'm qualified? It's amazing when you're qualified for things. It's like, I can speak English. Yes, right? That's an easy way to serve. What, what, I mean, there's plenty of ways. And if you're going, I don't know a way, but I do know I want to serve, just hear me. Don't hear me just say this is like an idea. Just do it. Take the information card. Write down, I want to serve. I don't know where. Put your name and your email address, and we will find a place for you to plug into. Um, one big, big need is we have more and more people. This is always a need around this time of the year. More and more people who are like, I want to be in a community, a redemption community. I want to be plugged into discipleship. We need leaders. We need people who lead. And here when I say leader, sometimes you think elder qualified leader. No, think facilitator. Meaning someone's going to give you some questions about what I said on that Sunday or whoever taught, and then you're going to go and you're going to ask people that question in your home or somebody else's host in that home. If you think that you could do that, so in this case, if you can talk and read, um, <laughs> you, lo- wait, you love Jesus and talk and read, right? Seriously, there's probably plenty of our kids and our, our student ministries that can probably start leading a community. So whatever... In all honesty, we do need community leaders. So the first week was ownership. We're going to walk through these because I know we're going to run out of time here. So after, after that, the second week was apprenticeship. My notes are out of order. So there we go. So apprenticeship, making disciples who, in response to the gospel, seek to live all of their life all for Jesus. And so what we saw from there is if you read the book 2 Timothy, um, and 2 Timothy chapter 2 is what we looked at, you have where Paul is discipling Timothy. And in this context, he tells Timothy, he says, I want you to take what you've been entrusted with. Primarily the teaching of the gospel. And I want you to entrust it to other faithful people that they may, aid, may teach others. And you, so you saw this principles of bringing people along. Discipleship in itself is not hard, guys. Like, it's not like you need to be a genius Christian. You need to be walking with Jesus forever. If you know enough to be a Christian, like if you know enough to, to say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, perfect. Take somebody else along with him and just sing that song to him, right? When you learn another song, sing that song to them, right? And then build from there. I mean, it really is. It's just, if you're cutting your grass, bring someone else along with you. If, you're, if you don't have grass, if you're rearranging your rocks, wh- whatever it is that you're doing, bring someone else along with you. That's all it is. Um, it's teaching people how to love in Christ in every area of your life. And discipleship is something I am massively passionate about. You know why? Because at the very heart of it, Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Go make disciples. And everybody makes this big deal about the imperative of the command is go. And we made these big mission pushes like go to Africa, go to Asia, go, which, by the way, go to Africa, go to Asia, that's fine. But go is not the imperative. The imperative is make disciples. Go is a participle. What that means is as you go, as you work, as you drive, as you cut your grass, as you do whatever the thing, as you go to the grocery store, whatever you do, as you ride bikes, bring other people along with you and make disciples. It's not just having a cup of coffee and ha- open up the Bible. 
You know what else doesn't disciple people? Books don't disciple people, guys. Books are great, and they're a great means. I love reading them. People disciple people. Jesus never said, go make a book that makes disciples. <laughs> no, no, go make disciples. And you may say, I'm not confident. That's the best place to be. So you can be confident in him. Because if he's called you to do it, he's equipped you to do it. And, and just, just for some practical things when it comes to discipleship, here's four T's, right? Four T's you need to know about discipleship. One, discipleship requires truth. Who God is, what he said, what's his character, what is he doing? Um, time, time, because people are people. And no, our life with Jesus goes like this, right? There's no such thing as I became a Christian and I went here and God was like, you're so close, come to heaven, right? <laughs> Never. Our life with God is like this, truth, time, and you know what else? Tension, tension. Sometimes it's tension because of brokenness and sin. Sometimes it's just tension because of realities of just life. That you, you, you may not have this perfect one-on-one mentor. Get that out of your mind. That whole idea of this perfect one, to, like one mentor who's 45 years older than me, who's been married for 75 years, who's, and it's just, it's just hey, it might be someone who's a half a month over, older than you. It may even be someone young, just somebody, people, multiple ways, taking a class, being here on a Sunday service, multiple ways, being in a community, be a disciple, truth. Obviously, there's time and there's tension, and lastly, there's touch. Touch is, it's people. It's so relational. It's relational. Even the most introverted people I know can be relational. Man, they may get exhausted. It's funny watching those dynamics because I'm an extroverted person and my wife's an introverted. And when we visit some friends on vacation, we spend all this time. I was driving home buzzing, right? And she's just like, like there's an IV in her arm. And she's just like, <laughs> I gave everything. And that's, I mean, so, so it, I say that to go, me, I like a lot of people. My wife will pour into a few people and pour into them well, very well. Just find people, right? True touch time, tension, those things are inevitable. So one, in building a stronger church, it was ownership. It was making this church ours. Two, it was apprenticeship. That's essentially discipleship. Three, we'll spend the bulk of the time here, is um, generosity. And the reason I want to talk about generosity here is one of the things that we don't do a whole lot, I don't do a whole lot, is talk about money. Um, and so let me just say this as a caveat. One, generosity is not just money. In fact, the tagline we have there is responding to the self-sacrifice and love of God with self-giving love towards others. That means all of your life towards people. You make time for people, your resources for people, finances, and so forth outside yourself. And what we looked at here was 2 Corinthians chapter 8, with this beautiful passage where Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, don't you know the grace of God? He starts there theologically. Grace, at the heart of salvation, is God gifting and giving. That he leaves the comforts of heaven. He says, don't you know the grace of, of our Lord Jesus Christ? Though he was rich, became poor, so that you who were poor might become rich. There's this exchange. That when you understand the nature of who you are in Christ, when you understand, that's why we say every week, if you're not a Christian, we don't want you to give. Because we're not trying to coerce you into something. Money doesn't get you into the kingdom. Grace does. God does. His gift. And when you're in it, you realize, I was bought at a price. You say what the Apostle Paul says. He says, weeping, love controls us. The love of God controls us, he says, because we've concluded this. One has died, therefore all have died. And the one who died, he died so that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but live for the one whom for their sake died and rose again. He's saying that, that, that changes everything. And so when it comes to generosity, it was how do we become a self-giving people as a church and even as individuals? And I would say this from, from the bat. We don't talk about money a lot. We don't. I personally don't talk about money a lot. It's probably the, the weakest thing that I can probably talk about, meaning my weakest gift in communication. And here's why. Partly, I think, is um, we come from environments where they talk about money all the time. Money, 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 money. Every time you go to church, money, money, money. You need money. You, know, you want to love Jesus? Love money. Give money, give money, give money, prosper. And it's just like, goodness, I'm tired. And then there is this pendulum swing. 
where it's like, we won't ever talk about it, and it becomes like godly not to talk about it. Um, and we cannot, in the same breath, talk about making disciples and apprenticeships and then of all of life and then not talk about money. <laughs> because that's a part of your life. In fact, that's a huge part. It's a big indicator, as the Bible talks about, as Jesus talks about, has been evidence of where your faith is at, where your treasure is at. He says, that's, that's where your faith is at. That's where your heart's at. So with that, I just want to talk about some numbers, some facts, some things, especially for you linear people, where we are in our general fund. I'll get to our building. So this first part, by, by, it's, it's not a guilt, but it's a reality, and it's not the best reality. Hear me. We're a generous church. We can grow in a lot. Here's just the facts. Hi, Jason, give me some facts. These are kind of shocking. We average um, just under about 1,100 adults on a Sunday, which probably means that we probably around 1,500 people um, that come to it. They call Redemption Tempe their church. So we average about $20 per person per week, and this is the lowest of any other redemption congregations, including West Mesa and Flagstaff. Um, Flagstaff is a church plant with majority college kids. Like, we have the perception, like, we're all college kids. How many of you guys are in college? Right? There's 12, there's 15 people here in college, right? <laughs> there's 15 people, right? And, and uh, we, like, when I was at Redemption Flagstaff maybe a few months ago, Vince said, how many of you guys go to NAU? Everybody raised their hand. I raised my hand just out of peer pressure. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, West Mesa, as you know, is a very low income, um, like just a lower income area. And so that's not like a shame on you. That's, not, it's just, like, that's just a reality. It's just a reality. Um, that basically comes down to something like if, if we break it down, that means most people in our church are making $10,000 a year, um, which we know that's not the truth. And that's if they're giving 10%. So what a, what, that, that means something. And this last one was shocking to me when it comes to ownership. This is shocking to me because this is a team sport and we're in this together. 62 families make up 15% of the total giving. And we're smart enough to know that um, families mean there's a couple there. The kids aren't paying anything, right? They're just playing sports and going to school. <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> that, that means, you know, you double that, and it's 124 people um, that basically make up 50% or more of the total just generating fun here, and out of the 1,200 adults that, that come here. So I say that to go, uh, we're generous, we can grow a lot. Now, I'm not going to tell you what you need to do. When it comes as a redemption as a church, we, don't, we never teach you need to tithe. Like, you need to tithe, you need to tithe. Some of you guys come from churches, and you go, oh, I need to tithe. One, in the New Testament, um, it never says to tithe. Not once it to say to tithe. But what we do understand is that in the New Testament, Jesus always ups the ante. So when he says, uh, talking about adultery, he goes, you say adultery, but I say this, even if you look at a woman with lust, meaning this is what grace does. Because you say, don't murder. He goes, well, I'm telling you this. Even if you have hatred in your heart, it's murder. And so he ups the ante. When it comes to giving, it's saying, if under the law, the people of God gave a tithe, they were required to give a tithe. In fact, if you look at it, they were required to give 23% of their, of, their, of their earnings, and that's what tithing and first fruits and everything else. Then in the New Testament, when it comes to grace, I mean, we're not under law, that we're under grace, this beautiful thing that we sing about, that we love, we love grace, we love grace, we love grace. There should be this abundance of a joy a joy to give, to give regularly, to give um, sacrificially, to say, God, this is what you've given me. This is yours. And so that's the way we usually teach it. And some people say, well, I have never given 10%. Here's what I say. Start somewhere and grow. You can't just say, I'm not going to show up on the radar. I, I'm on the radar. I'm not going to give anywhere. It's if you are a Christian, right? One, the Bible gives to- numerous reasons. One, out of obedience to give. That it's, an, it's a call for us to be givers. Um, two, there's a sense that there are blessings, 
There are, there's no doubt that there are blessings. Part of the greatest blessings of giving, personally, for me, is, is it increases my faith. Increase my, when I see what we have to do, what we want to do, <laughs> when we give, it's just like, oh, wow. But God's going to always provide. God's always going to provide. It's a blessing. And everybody in here who's ever been a part of it, you know it stretches your faith. But what it does is you, it's an act of faith that God builds your faith in. Giving is always an act of faith that you say, God, you will provide, and he ends up building your faith in it. And, and another reason you just give it, you give it, first of all, to your local church because this is the place that is giving, supposedly giving the spiritual nourishment that we need as a church, the function, and so forth. And so that, that's where we are. Um, you have to go before the Lord and say, I want to grow here. Some of you, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt. You're like, I've never known that. I have been a Christian for so many years, and you're right, you've never said anything about it. I need resources, I need help. Um, if, you, if that's you, just fill out a card and say, I need help. We're going to have classes and stuff for it, for financial stewardship, not just to say so you can give more, so that you can take care of yourself financially as people. Um, and so that's kind of the, that's where we are. But I got some good news, all right? So when it comes back to the building, all right, when it comes back to the capital campaign, last year was incredible. Um, in the sense that we started a capital campaign, and not only did our general fund, that we asked people to give above and beyond. So your normal giving plus sacrifice to give towards this capital campaign, and it's been really good, like really, really good. So we had that first, first fruit that we said we wanted $100,000. We ended up getting $180,000, um, which in one-time giving. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then, and then, so it was a three-year period, and so we're about a year and a couple months, and so under a year and a half, and we're already halfway. We're just over five hundred thousand uh, dollars towards that million dollars, and so that's a really, really good thing um, for us to be able to be there. And we're really, genuinely excited about that. Like that's a good thing, guys. We just talked about this. That's a good thing, right? That, right. So that's a. And so. All we gotta do is keep going. And here's just some just numbers while we're in this part that I thought's great. Us as a church, um, from a numerical point, which they're just warm bodies, but it's, it's enough to look at. Um, we have grown 136 people per week over the last year, and then that growth is 13%, which is the largest it's been since we first merged churches and became a redemption church. 50 baby dedications and 70 baptisms. Baby dedications to me are my favorite because that means there's just new life crawling, in, literally crawling into this world, which I absolutely love. And baptisms are great because they're just new Christians that are saying like, hey, disciple me. I'm ready to commit myself to Christ. I've committed myself to Christ. How do we walk along this process? And so what this means from an action item right here, um, especially when it comes to the giving, I, you have to go before the Lord. Okay, I can't do that for you. And I don't know what you give. I personally don't look at everybody. That's not my responsibility. But I do know is this. As your pastor, as someone who's called a disciple and be a part of your discipleship process, you have to look before the Lord and say, Lord, am I being a selfless, sacrificial giver? Um, if not, where are you challenging me to give of myself, my time, and my money? That, that means serving. That means giving and so forth. You have to go before the Lord. Um, some of you, you are, you are as generous as you possibly could be. You are stretched to the max. Um, some of you are making excuses. And if you need help, let us help you in that. Um, as a church, we have to do this together so that some people are not carrying the bulk of the load while all of us be able to play the part that we can play. It's not equal, um, it's not equal giving, equal money. It's equal sacrifice. Does that make sense? Everyone's not going to be able to give the same. We understand that. It, but it's an equal sacrifice before the Lord. Amen? Okay, we're going to roll through these two, the next three. All right, so after that, we, um, after that, Oh, eclectic was the next one. Eclectic was the one that we looked at and we said, you know what, we want people in our lives who are not like us. And so it says we want to be a community that seeks to be a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-class, non-gender specific, intergenerational church that learns and gives amongst each other. That's a lot to say, let alone to do, right? And so it's in short, what that meant is, is there people in your life that are not like you? 
Like, look at the last few people you text, look at the last people you called, and look at your Facebook friends, right? And just, do these, are these people like me in any way? I mean, excuse me, are they not like me in any way? Because chances are we're around people who laugh at the same jokes we laugh at, that watch the same TV shows we look at, um, are usually the same skin color we are, and so forth. And we're, we're, we're saying, well, be with people not like you. Well, one of the things I got to do over vacation, too, other than watch a lot of TV and get a tan, is that I was, I was able to uh, really look and go, and like, how much of this am I living? Like, like, how many people am I around that are completely other? I mean, just completely, not just non-Christians, but completely other. And how can I make room for people like that? Make room for people like that. Make room for someone who, who's different than you, right? Make room for that. And I'm not saying go and find somebody. Hey, are you from a different country? Are you from a different culture? Do you vote differently than me? Cool, I needed you. Come here, right? Don't use people, right? Love people. Love people um, and make room for that. That, that, that has to be intentional. Um, fifth thing was reliance, probably the most important thing on all of this. Can't do any of this without this. You can't seek the peace of the city. You can't be at places. You can't care for people. You can't make disciples if you're not relying upon God. And what we said by this, this is being a community that is dependent on the word, the spirit, and the people of God for all of life. God's word, God's people, and God's spirit. But you, if we just do a bunch of good stuff for people, like we have a building and we let all these people use our building, and, and, or we just, we serve people, we teach people English, that's really good. We're just a really good nonprofit. We're not a church. A church is centered around the head of the church, and that's Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. To be a Christian is to be Christ-like, not first in action or behavior, but in belief. This is not about information, but it's about transformation of the Spirit of Christ at work with us. And so when we say reliance, it is saying in reliance on the work of Christ, the gospel, the good news that God has come and he's met me where I'm at, and he's growing me to where he's at that I will take the word of God and rely on it as a, the, the, the final authority for my life and for the life of this church. That the word of God is what dictates the things that happen here. We can have opinions, we can have um, urges, we can have all these things, but they're filtered through the scripture. They're filtered through the gospel. And also, they're through the spirit of Christ. Is that we don't do any of these things in our own strength. If not, I'm telling you, if not, that's just social justice, which is a great thing, but it's not biblical justice that flows through God's people. That, that what we're talking about is empowered by the Spirit, that the way that we eat, the way that we drink, the way that we read, the way that we teach, the way that we love, the way that we serve, all are empowered by the Spirit, that we want to rely on God's Spirit, and we want to do it community-wise. This is not an individual sport. That we rely on His people. I need you, and you need me. I need you more than you think I need you, and you need me more than I think that I need you. We need each other. We need each other. You need the people next to you. You need the people behind you. You may not even always know their name, but you need them. You need people to be praying for. You ever get that text, hey, man, just want to let you know I'm praying for you right now, and you're going through something like, wow, it's good to know now because this person doesn't even know the crap that I'm in right now. We need each other. We need it. So if we're going to be any type of a church, it's got to be relying on God's word and God's spirit and his people. Amen? The last thing here was sent, and sent just meant be Christians (laughs) everywhere you are. We are a people who are sent into all sectors of life, that's the main aspects of life, to embody the good news of Jesus empowered by the Spirit. That is just be who you are wherever you are. That we don't believe that discipleship only happens in the context of a local church, but the church in itself is people who gather and are scattered to every place that you will go to tomorrow, every single place you will go to Tuesday, every relationship that God has given you, every family member that God has given you, that you live in such a way that uniquely says, I'm not assimilating, but I'm not disengaging, but I'm engaging in the name of Christ. I'm engaging in the name of Christ. And so, um, let, me, let me finish with this. I think, personally, and as your elders think, from, from, the, from a year ago, we've grown significantly, not just in those numbers that I said, 
but just in discipleship, just the maturity of our church, the conversation, the relationships, the marriages, the singleness, all of the, I mean, just grown deep, and we're praying for more of that. And, and what I mean by that is what happens in the life of a church is you get very complacent. Think about your own Christian life. How many of us as individuals have gotten to the point where we were just complacent? Like, I used to be on fire or whatever the words were for, for Jesus, but now I'm complacent. Part of that happens is because we just stop fighting. We stop pushing against sin. We stop pushing into the things of grace. And the way I can think about it, if I can use one more soccer illustration, because I watch the soccer, is that USA soccer Portugal game, like that was an amazing game, right? I still don't know soccer. I don't know any of the rules, but I know that when the ball goes in the net, another team scores, that's not good, right? And so we were winning that game, and it seems like it's over, and then we were playing Portugal, and they have that really good-looking dude with the nice wax eyebrows, and he kicked it, and, and the other dude, like, headed it in. I don't even know if that's, a, if that's the phrase, but he, you know, he did one of those numbers, right? And we tied the game. And, like, it was like, almost there, but it's like, you kind of like, ah, oh, I wish we could have played a little bit harder. I feel like individually and as a church, we got to be careful of that. Because we are, by God's grace, it's a good, redemption's a good church. I really, and I'm not just saying that because I'm the pastor. I would go here if I wasn't the pastor. But it, it could easily just become a church that dwindles because we forget our first love in Jesus. So what, what I'm really calling you to, my, our vision, my personal vision, is that we are lovers of Jesus and we introduce people, other people, to Jesus by the way that we love Jesus and what we say and what we do. Amen? So, takeaways. If you are just a tender, start participating. Start serving. Take that connection card. I want to serve. We'll take care of it. Um, if you're someone who looking, you're a leader, you want to be able to lead, you want to facilitate an RC, sign up for that. Um, if God's calling you, challenge you somewhere, do it. If you just need help and you say, I'm a mess, I'm a mess, take the card. Write down, I'm a mess. Put your name on that. We will meet with you and start and begin counseling with you. We love you to death. That's why God's called us here. If we're not doing that, we're not doing our job. But collectively, if we're not doing the things that God's called us to do, we're not being the church of Jesus Christ that he's called us to be. Amen? Let's pray.